0: Always have an answer. There's nothing worse in my mind. Again, this is my opinion. That, um, well, why did you miss the quarter, or why did you all do so well? It's not always bad, right? Like, why did you all finish at 127 percent? I don't know. That, like, that is a horrible answer. Versus, sometimes people feel when it's a bad answer, if you have an answer to the answer, here's why we missed this quarter and here's the three bullets, and I ran some analysis, et cetera, and here's what we're doing to course correct it. That is a million times better than I don't know.
1: Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in pursuit of unicorns. I'm David Carnes.
2: And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps Rockstar.
1: This show is brought to you by OpFocus, on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest on the podcast is someone who brings over 23 years of global sales operations experience. He developed a sales and customer success center of excellence which partners with portfolio companies to build and scale effective commercial teams. He is the author of the soon-to-be-released, but I have a copy, What a Unicorn Knows book. He is an operating partner for sales and customer success at Insight Partners. Welcome, Pablo Dominguez.
0: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
2: Pablo, we love starting with a juicy question up front. You work with hundreds and hundreds of portfolio companies and um, CEOs on a regular basis. What is something you had to learn the hard way when working on portfolio companies or companies in general on RevOps?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, there's so many to choose from, but I would say, The toughest lesson was don't over-engineer the solution. Um, I've had the benefit of working in public companies, a startup, and now at Insight. um, And too many times we come in thinking, hey, I've already fixed this somewhere else. I know how to fix it here without really trying to customize it for the place you're in. So think before you go and try and implement something that might've worked for you somewhere else.
2: Great uh, reminder for folks, especially for folks who've done it over and over again. It's so easy to just try to cookie cutter, cut, and paste the same solution. And sometimes something simple is enough.
1: Absolutely. So Pablo, I'd love to ask you about the operating partner role. Uh, so can you first tell us about Insight Partners and the companies that you invest in?
0: Absolutely, so Insight's been around for you know 27 years. Uh, we're a software B2B uh, investor, uh, both on the venture side and on private equity. And part of what makes Insight unique is we have some of the best software uh, investors in the world. And we also have a team called OnSite, which is made up of uh, former operators in product, marketing, engineering, sales, customer success, talent um, that are here to help our portfolio companies scale from the time we make the initial investment uh, until they exit. So I run the sales and customer success uh, team within that OnSite team, which is made up of around over 120 individuals.
1: So over the last few years, you've built up this uh, sales and customer success center of excellence. What what does this group do? Yeah, so if you think about um, any company
0: that's scaling, um, one of their primary ways to drive revenue is to obviously deploy uh, resources, right? Those could be resources focusing on PLG, product-led growth. It could be resources focusing on direct selling, Uh, or indirect selling through channels, alliances, partners, et cetera. So part of what our team does is work with CEOs, with uh, heads of sales or chief operating officers on everything from strategy on where they should go to market, David, to things as tactical and important as what CRM should I use, right? How do I build out a sales process? How do I do forecasting? So uh, any element really in the go-to-market landscape is something that we're advising on on a daily basis
1: how do you measure success for the operating partner role and for your group as well? Yeah. So when
0: we work with our portfolio companies, um, there's a very clear ROI that we're constantly tracking, right? Are we driving incremental ARR growth? If we're focusing on customer success and post-sales, did net revenue retention go up, right? Or gross revenue retention. And so um, there are metrics that we try to track to see the impact that we are making, but it depends. Some things like sales enablement and training take time right, to to determine if you're making an impact. So there's also this subjective view of, did the CEO see value? Did the CRO, head of sales, head of marketing product, depending on which team you're on, um, are they seeing value from their team as well in terms of the work that we're doing? But we try to definitely track metrics and KPIs.
1: And just out of curiosity, a key element in all of this is are, are the teams and the individuals that you're working with um, how do you communicate with to portfolio companies regarding uh, maybe update upgrades they should make on uh, team members they have in place or you know just even how they're thinking about the revOps team
0: yeah so so part of the value right that we bring is the people that we've hired on the team have, 10, 20 plus years of experience, right? And so CEOs and heads of sales will rely on us for, hey, not only advice on my strategy or you know resource allocation, but how good is my team? How can I uh, upskill my team? And part of what we offer is we have an annual RevOps Summit where we bring RevOps leaders together from around the portfolio company, right? So it gives them an opportunity to network, to build a community, to learn from each other, to learn from insight. So that's one way we help uh, upskill the team, Um, but we also help inform leaders like, hey, maybe this person is better suited to a different role. You might need to bring in a more uh, experienced field general, if you will, to to run ops, right? But honestly, most of the time, a lot of the PORCOs do not have an ops leader yet, right? And so we're the first to say, hey, you need this role because it's critical for you to run your business effectively.
2: Pablo, because your team has to work with so many portfolio companies, often over the course of many years, on that topic of KPIs you're tracking, I'd love to spend another minute on what are some of those first KPIs you want to be able to report on within, say, three months or six months or some initial timeframe. When a portfolio company joins um, the Insight family, how do you quickly assess where they are and what do you look at?
0: Yeah, no, good question. So, when when a portfolio company typically joins, um, we try to give them an assessment of when we made the investment, here is what we see, right? Across product, across engineering, marketing, talent, sales, CS, et cetera. And so that's sort of the baseline, right? Here's what we saw, here's where we think you should be going. um, And we typically put a plan together to say, hey, in three months, six months, nine months. So, to your question, after three months, we expect, all right, maybe they didn't have a head of sales or a head of ops, right? So did they hire someone? Yes or no. If they said, hey, we're really bad at forecasting, um, we put together a plan in place to say, okay, we expect in three months to be incrementally better by X percent on forecasting and pipeline management. So we would set targets coming out of um, them becoming a portfolio company, and then just track that with them every quarter to see, are they meeting it? Are they not? Did the strategy change? And then we have to uh, change some of the goals, et cetera. But the goals would be set by function um, and then reviewed with the leadership team.
2: When we speak to RevOps leaders in uh, these podcast episodes or many other conversations, um, sometimes there's the sense that once a private equity or VC investor comes in, everyone's kind of uh, behinds are on fire and scrambling to get a lot of this initial tracking up to speed and ready. When you think about the duration it takes to implement some of these early um, ways to help ensure you understand the health of that portco, is there any kind of um, expectation setting you would like more RevOps leaders or executives in general to have to say, hey, you might not be able to see that immediate impact in two months, let's say, or however long. Be patient with some amount of time before you know we kind of come in and roll out a whole bunch of additional changes. Yeah.
0: And by the way, as someone who was uh, one of the companies I used to be at that was public, got bought by Silver Lake and TPG. So I was on the receiving end of, I need this reporting. I need it yesterday. Uh, don't care about what you have. Here's what we want. Right. So I, I totally have lived through that and I understand it. And I also feel for the RevOps community that's doing these roles because let's pretend it's an insight company. You probably also have six other investors that are also asking for similar data in their formats, right? So it's not like there's one format. So that's that's part of the trouble. What I would say is we try very hard with our other investors to say, let's request or try to request one packet, right? So they're not getting the the ops person and the head of sales CFO aren't you know submitting six different things. So if there's an opportunity, my best advice is try to see if you can have a consistent output of your data and metrics sent to the uh, investors, may not be in the right format that they each want, but at least that makes things more simple Um, and be realistic, right? I think not every investor that's asking for stuff may have an operating team, right? So if you have an operating team like ours, um, we've been in these roles. We understand what it takes to get the data, to crunch the data, to synthesize the data, the limitations of the CRM. Um, And so if you say, hey, it's going to take a month, got it, right? If you don't have anybody that's actually operated that's requesting it, they might think, what's the big deal? Push some buttons in the CRM and it comes out, right? So uh, try and be honest, but also be proactive, right? And also provide more more that's been requested because that also makes you look uh, exceptionally well as an ops person and a leader in the organization.
2: I I really like that advice, which is we as portfolio companies, for example, people in RevOps, we have that same responsibility to educate those who we work with through the board, through those centers of excellence. If they have a center of excellence, you know, they're lucky enough to work with folks like yourself, Pablo, where you have done that internally in a company. I think it's easier to communicate it, but otherwise it is up to the portfolio companies, executives themselves to come and say, these are the challenges we're facing. And this is the amount of time it takes to actually get this ready for you. Absolutely. Let's kind of broaden the topic a little bit. We've been talking more about reporting and KPIs. What are some of the factors you look for in a successful RevOps team? And what does a well-oiled RevOps machine typically look like in your portfolio?
0: Yeah. And let let me answer that this way. So I started my ops career in HR, like when I left consulting and I went to, to to first public company, I started doing sales compensation planning in HR. And so you're probably wondering, well, hey, how did that lead to operations, right? Um, the most successful ops people that I've seen out there or really any leader, doesn't have to just be ops, but since we're talking about ops, they know how to drive value and build relationships with the commercial teams, right? And they become trusted advisors. And so that's sort of how I went from Designing sales comp plans to, hey, this person should be doing something in operation. So there's different flavors of ops people, you know, right? If, if, if teams are much more tactical and it's just an order taking team that is, hey, go fix this in the CRM, go run this analysis, uh, I need quotas set. Um, not that, that you can't be successful doing that, but if you really want to differentiate yourself and stand out as one of the best, you need to be a strategic thinker, have a seat at the table. Um, be invited to board meetings because you've got all the, I mean, if you think about like who has the knowledge of what's really going on in the business, it's the RevOps leader, right? Um, because the sales leader, they're salespeople, right? And they might've been a sales ops person at some point or a RevOps person, but they're not in the details like the RevOps person. So my advice is get out of the tactical nature of the business. Not that you don't, not that you're not going to do tactical, but if that's your primary focus, you're not, not going to be as successful. Be strategic first. Um, while incorporating tactical apps aspects of it,
2: and you you're giving great advice here, which is you know to to think more strategically, not only to be that order taker, um, making sure, of course, the tactical execution is on lock, but also ensuring that you're looking ahead, also understanding the narrative of what's happening in the business for a RevOps leader in a position where they have been traditionally more focused on that execution piece. How does one become that trusted advisor? How do they elevate themselves into a more strategic visionary role?
0: Yeah, so here's what worked for me, right? And uh, I stole a page out of one of Colin Powell's books. I forget which one it was, but he would, Colin Powell, former Secretary of State and uh, sort of Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, he would go out and talk to troops. He would just show up at bases unannounced, And, you know, the one-star, two-star generals would be like, oh, he's here to meet with us. And he'd be like, no, I want to go sit down with the troops and like find out what is going on. And I took that to heart when I did my roles and I would go interview reps, BDRs, reps, managers, do ride-alongs. This was back in the day when people drove around more so than selling virtually now. But to get a sense of like, how did people sell? What was the process? What challenges were they finding on calls with customers, right? What collateral were they taking with them? Um, to talk to customers at one company, reps would open up their trunks of their cars when we would go talk to a customer and they'd have all this paper. And I was like, oh my god, like how arduous and cumbersome. And that's where we got the idea to automate everything and put it on an iPad, right and build enablement tools. Um, this was in you know the mid the mid 2010s. Um, now everything is obviously automated. but so spending time in the field to really understand what's going on and not just with sales, right? I'd spend time with product to understand well what are your expectations of sales teams like uh why are they met, you know why is product pissed off that people aren't selling x y or z to get a sense for like well hey is it the comp plan is it the quota like why aren't people motivated to do that um so really doing the rounds to educate yourself but also to build relationships mm-hmm. right because then when you find yourself in a situation where you're in a meeting and the head of sales is saying or the CEO well I think the issue is x y z You're in a position now to say, actually, I spoke with 10 of our reps, and I spoke with the head of product and an engineer, and I think the issue is actually this, and I did some analysis, and now let me show you something that will convince you to drive something else. That's how you build that trusted relationship where people go, wow, this person actually knows what they're talking about. Let's talk to them more give them more responsibility and so forth.
2: I think there's something very profound about the ability to elevate and become more strategic by actually doing something that's very fundamental, which is to go and sit next to and with those actual sellers, those end users, um, get that ground level intel, and then to be able to say, let me analyze what I've collected from this data that maybe previously people didn't uh, have. Absolutely.
0: And it's easier now, right? Because if you think about it, like if I had access to gong or chorus when I was doing this, like, oh my God, I could have done it quicker, probably analyze data better, right? So I think we have tools now that enable you, or you can introduce tools. So imagine a company not using Gong or Chorus, right? And you're the RevOps leader and you're like, imagine if we had a tool that allowed us to do X, Y, Z, you now look like a hero, right? Um, And you're able to provide additional insights to the business.
2: Yeah, I really, really like that. And we hear that actually a lot from the RevOps leaders we speak to. Gong Chorus tends to be one of the most popular tools we hear about. (laughs) What are some of the actions, especially with the market changes that are happening today in, in 2023, um, some of these changing uncertain market conditions, um, what are some of the actions that you think RevOps teams should get to or prioritize more urgently now than ever before so that they're better prepared for you know these, these uncertain market changes?
0: Yeah, so I'd bucket it maybe into three things. One is supporting strategy, um, supporting resource allocation, and then three, supporting um, taking out costs, right? Or efficiency, right? And so strategy, resource allocation, and cost. Strategy, if you are, again, that strategic thinker and you're spending time with people, the business is probably going to start to, to wonder, given the economic headwinds that we have ahead of us, Do we need to change strategy? Should we go into different markets? Should we launch different products or not, right? And again, the RevOps person that's at the center of all the data, some of the insights, the historical results of where we've done well and haven't done well can help paint a picture in working with finance and other teams on, hey, strategically, here's what makes sense for us to spend time on or not spend time on, right? Um, From a resource allocation perspective, once that strategy is aligned, where do we place our resources? Right? Do I need more uh, more hunters, more farmers? Maybe we need more technical resources because we don't have sufficient ones, and that's why deals are taking longer to close. Again, a lot of insights there in terms of how resources are deployed can be provided by sales. Um, and then the last one from a profitability perspective, not that everything has to be about cost cutting headcount. If you think about the role that um, go to market plays, there's a lot of tools right? The single, probably most expensive tool is your CRM, right? Then you add on Gong on top of that. You add on a Gainsite, uh, other solutions. And typically the RevOps person is at the center of that working with IT, right? And so you've got visibility into usage, what's adding value, what's not. Maybe we can add a different tool, which helps us solve some problems that then reduce, reduces costs elsewhere or drives incremental revenue. So I think being proactive On those three elements, Um, again, guarantees you a seat at the table, but helps you be part of the solution for your business to drive sustainable growth.
2: Yeah, that's really excellent um, framework you just shared. And I know some of this is echoed in your book, which we are going to talk about uh, a little bit later. If we stay on that same topic for a little bit longer, on the flip side, are there certain kinds of initiatives or projects that RevOps teams can get themselves into trouble with and should be especially careful about given the market conditions today?
0: Um, I think so. Um, let, let me think about this. So if you're in an organization where you've deployed a bunch of tools, right? So for example, and, th- and this this has happened to me in the past, so I'm, I am guilty of this, as is, I'm sure every ops person. Um you get shiny toy syndrome, right? And so you know, you go to Dreamforce, you go to SaaS or whatever conference you want, and everybody's got their stuff there, and you're like, "Ooh, that looks good. That looks good. I know this can solve a problem." And you know, during twenty one, twenty two, when cash was plentiful and probably you had a good business case for buying stuff, maybe you bought a bunch of things that you shouldn't have bought from a tool perspective, right? And I think that is. Probably getting some people in trouble now where, you know, CFO is asking, why why are we spending 20K on this, 50K on this, 100K on that? Um, Who made this decision? Right. And again, RevOps, you're at the center of being the hero when it works, but also why'd you buy all this stuff? Right. And so be thoughtful, not just in economic boom times, but even in times of crisis, that you should be buying stuff that really add value, not just for the sake of, of. uh, of buying it. So I think that's one example where you could get into trouble um, or maybe in trouble right now, just given where we were before.
1: So Pablo, staying on the uh, tech stack uh, tool topic for just a moment, uh, I'm curious, uh, are there any tech stack tools that you've been really impressed with lately? Yeah, I'm a big fan, honestly. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot, but honestly,
0: given a lot of the work that we do with our portfolio companies right and we have you know over 500 companies and I've I've been also in public companies and a startup before so I think this issue honestly resonates the most with me is visibility into the pipeline and forecast I think every company regardless of stage struggles to really analyze pull out data pull out relevant insights to have a clear understanding of where deals are and there's a lot of great technology out there, right? A lot. Um, but I, I would say if you're not leveraging one of those solutions or, you know, BI or some awesome analyst that can just crunch this in Excel, um, which again, isn't a tool necessarily, but a lot of people still live in Excel, which is fine. Um, you're missing an opportunity to really understand like the health of your business. And especially in today's time, David, right? Like the lagging indicators aren't as important anymore right? Because they don't help me be nimble and quick. So great that I know that you know X percent of my reps are hitting quota or what my ARR growth is or my net retention, et cetera. But having the ability to quickly say, well, what's my average sales cycle, right? Are deal sizes decreasing or increasing? How much pipeline am I building week over week, month over month? And can that tell me how the quarter is going to shape up um, or the year? And can I do trending, right? Assuming I've got multiple months or quarters or years of trending, I can be much more accurate to tell the board, guess what? We've always been able to hit our quarter when we're in week 11 and we're X point, you know, X percent below target, right? Um, so we don't have, we're not concerned. Uh, but if you don't have that data, you know, you're sort of just guessing. Um, and so I'd say try and invest in technology that gives you better visibility into the healthier business.
1: I think that's so valuable. You, you think of a tool like Salesforce that provides five, six, seven different ways to do trending, but not all of it's turned on. Some of it requires a bunch of steps to enable, whereas some of these BI tools that provide both predictive capabilities but also provide just automated trending, uh, you, you actually have that visibility that you want that you're suggesting to provide. so yeah. Uh, So uh, I'd like to talk about evaluating new companies for a moment. And specifically, is there anything that is a red flag within RevOps when you're looking at new companies?
0: Absolutely. So I have the benefit and my team of uh, helping to evaluate uh, from a go-to-market lens when the investors want to make an investment. And Sometimes ops is on the call, sometimes not. But let's let's for the sake of this question, uh, if ops is on the call or participating, there's nothing worse than when teams don't know their numbers, right? Or someone says, you know, I ask you, David, so what's your call for the quarter? Right. We're in Q1 now for most people. And you say uh four million. And then uh Sally, who's the RevOps person, goes, actually it's 3.75, David. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, how do you not know that? Right. Um, On the contrary, I would say what makes us feel great, right, is when we ask a question and someone says, hold on a second, let me pull up my Salesforce dashboard. Let me show you how we manage the business, right? Or the BI tool or one of these other, you know, third parties. And you can actually see they're clicking in and it's not just a PowerPoint slide that sometimes you don't know if it's real or not. Right. And they're changing the graphs. And you're like, wow, okay, they actually are managing the business effectively. Right. Doesn't mean there may not be challenges, but they know what they're doing. That's what you're testing for is do they know what they're doing? And is someone here competent and strong enough that we're like, wow, this person is going to help this company scale? Can't wait to work with them.
1: So, Pablo, I was cringing there for a moment when you were t- talking about the numbers not tying out. I, um, <laughs> Uh, at one of the software companies I worked for many years ago, uh, a CFO drilled that in. He's like, if you're saying it over here, it has to equate, equate over Hell here, yeah. uh, reporting across, you know, even across different systems. But he just insisted on that uh, uh, on that as a concept. I think it's a really valuable one. Absolutely. When somebody answers like that, that they actually want to show you, you probably don't expect them to spend a long time in there, but specifically pulling up what it is, let's say one of the BI tools and just showing you the data and maybe drilling down a level, but not going too long on the topic, you think that that's actually, that's a very I think thing. I
0: think it's very helpful because actually I will now go deep on that topic because we are experts, like my team has run sales teams, they've run operations, channels, sales engineering teams, so they know what questions to ask reps, right? So once you open up Salesforce, one kudos, because you've got something cool willing to show us, but also be careful... Because at least an insight, we will say, all right, let's click on that deal. Let's open it up. I want to see the notes from what the rep call. All right, it says it's in a commit category and we're, you know, a couple of weeks away. Let's like we'll we'll literally have like a deal review, right? And so hopefully the data is accurate. And again, for everybody out there and you guys, nobody's data is perfect, right? There's no such thing as 95% or better CRM data. I would argue if you're 85% or better, you're in the top. 1% cuz reps are humans they don't like updating stuff right so um just be prepared to be able to drill in if somebody asks you a question but again if you are an awesome revops leader and strategic and tactical that should not be an issue because you're living in there anyway if you're not i will quickly know within 2 minutes that you have no idea what you're talking about
2: you've mentioned a whole bunch of um drilling in being prepared with additional data hey maybe even coming to those board meetings if you're invited with that extra data ready. You also mentioned that lagging indicators aren't as important anymore, that you want to be able to see uh, maybe some more leading indicator uh, metrics that help advise on trends. um, How are things uh, looking month over month or week over week even? I think for a lot of RevOps leaders, one concern is, When is it too much that I'm bringing to the table with someone that's from my investor, like yourself, how much of it is kind of um, muddying the waters or too overwhelming for someone from the investor to understand? Do you have any guidance on how to approach what's the right degree and what are the right types of metrics to come to a conversation that is probably more elevated than a internal department review of how things are going.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up cuz um not that lagging indicators are not important anymore but they're they're always important but they don't give us the future looking view, right or forward looking view. So and you're right. I've seen too many times where board decks um or even just, you know, weekly updates, monthly updates have pages and pages of analysis. And you're like, where do I focus? right? Um, And I think also, this is also a symptom of the investors might be asking for a bunch of stuff. So you have six different investors asking you back to my original point. And so you as the ops person with your CEO, with your head of sales is like, well, let's just give them everything. right? And then we end up confusing everybody. So I think it's also incumbent on the rev ops person with their sales leader to say, these are the metrics that we think are the most important. You might've asked for 200, but let's be realistic. You're not going to look at 200. So I'd split them up in the lagging versus leading, right? And I think there's business metrics in terms of the health of the business, right? Is is revenue growing, right? Or ARR, is net retention, GRR? Like honestly, those three are the the, the primary metrics, I would say. Then there's rep performance metrics. Like are your reps achieving quota or not, right? What percent are above quota? What percent are at 80%? Um, Are reps ramping, right? There's there's that element. And then there's leading indicators, like we talked about, right? Are deal sizes changing? Are you building pipeline? Um, Are sales cycles increasing, decreasing? So I would pick, honestly, no more than 15 in total to help tell a story and then connect the dots, right? People might want to double click. So for example, always be prepared for the 200, but you need to figure out like, what's the dashboard in my car that I'm looking at? That's all I need. But if I wanted to click on the little menu item, I could double click and look at the tire pressure, right? But the tire pressure is not there front and center for you. You have to sort of find it, right? So for example, on the rep performance, it's easy to say, yeah, we've got 80% of our reps at 80% or above, but now I want to see like, all right, if you have 20 reps, is it two reps that are carrying everybody and everybody's right at 81% or, um, you know, which reps are building pipeline, et cetera. So if you're doing your job with your leader, You're managing the business at a much more detailed view that I, the board, don't necessarily need to see because you gave me an executive summary, right? But if I wanted to double click, you should be able to say, oh, I've got that, right? Because that's how I manage the business day to day, but it's not something I necessarily need to give you all the time.
2: Yeah. And I suspect that trust also gets built over time when those dashboards are easily accessible, when we need to have that deeper dive conversation to see, oh, all the ducks are in a row, or it looks like the team has a methodology or um, way of thinking about the analysis behind everything that they present to us once a quarter at the board meeting level.
0: Correct. And my my other advice is, if you're good, try to be great, obviously, always, right? But Always have an answer. There's nothing worse in my mind. Again, this is my opinion. That, um, well, why did you miss the quarter? Or why did you all do so well? It's not always bad, right? Like, why did you all finish at 127 percent? I don't know. That like that is a horrible answer. Versus, sometimes people feel when it's a bad answer, if you have an answer to the answer, here's why we missed this quarter. And here's the three bullets and I ran some analysis, et cetera. And here's what we're doing to course correct it. That is a million times better than I don't know, right? Or even why'd you do so well? And you can explain it and you dug into it or we're not sure yet, but here's what the data is showing us. We're double clicking in. We'll have an answer to you next week. Again, that shows that you're taking the initiative. You understand your business. You're digging into it versus... I don't know makes it seem like well wait you have a whole rev ops team like don't you guys analyze this stuff to find out what's going on so always have an answer
2: what i'm hearing is be uh, come prepared with an opinion of course having done your homework um i think more often than not um, uh rev ops leaders are asked to have uh, a prescription even what you recommend to do next but the last thing also is be proactive don't wait until you're asked come with those recommendations ready in your pocket and be prepared to answer those. Love that. Correct. Yep. Pablo, I want to switch gears and talk about your upcoming book, which is coming out on February 21st, 2023, in just a few days after the podcast episode goes live. Uh, This book is called What a Unicorn Knows, and you co-wrote it with uh, Matthew May. Tell us a little bit about the book and why you set out to write it.
0: Yeah. So Matt and I have been working together for about 11 years now. Um, I met him at uh, a public company that I was at and we had brought him in to do some lean work. So lean, um, for those of you that are may, may not know about lean, you might've heard about Six Sigma. Lean is different, but it stems from um, uh, the Toyota days uh, in terms of process optimization, right? And Uh, I worked with Matt at a public company, then brought him into a startup, had very successful results there. And then when I joined Insight, um, we brought him on board and he's been working with a lot of our portfolio companies since then. And about six years ago, uh, when I was at the startup before I joined Insight, we started realizing that the concept of Lean, which was born in manufacturing, and then um, the Lean Startup book was written and it was more about product. Right, It went from manufacturing to product. But it had never really been applied to go to market, right? sales and marketing. And so um, Matt and I started talking and saying, hey, we've had a lot of success with a lot of companies. Why don't we start documenting a lot of these principles and provide it to the community because it is so relevant, honestly, in any aspect of your life, not just in what we talk about, but in any time you're looking for efficiencies. Um, So that's where the book was born. Um, And again, we are super excited to have it released uh, in a couple of days uh, and share how any business, whether you are public, a startup, et cetera, can leverage it. The reason why it's called What a Unicorn Knows is we basically just took the successes of some of the most successful unicorns um, that were actually applying lean principles uh, as examples. um, But honestly, it can be applied to any business.
2: I in reading the first few chapters of the book, already um, you you talk extensively about borrowing these principles. You've me- been mentioning lean. Uh, Matt has that background working with um, a lot of that Toyota um, kind of framework. How do you see some of those manufacturing principles applying to the world that we're in, which is primarily software uh, and and SaaS specifically?
0: Yeah, so let me take let me take one of the principles in the book, was all, which is all about lean process, right? Um, And lean process stems itself from like the removal of waste, right? So in manufacturing, it was about how do I build a widget in a much more efficient manner? If you think about uh, a lead that's coming in from a customer turning into cash in a customer, there is a marketing process there, there's a sales process there, there's a post-sales process with implementation, billing, et cetera, um, which we found all to be rife with tons of waste, uh, when we do process engagements with companies, on average—and I say average, right, because it's typically higher—we're um, removing 25% of waste in that sales, post-sales, marketing process um, without spending a dime, right? So this is not about, hey, let me buy a tool to help you know fix things. Let me add headcount. This is just taking what's existing in the process and making it much more simple. Which, by the way, then when you put technology on top of it, you get you know factors of ten x plus in terms of efficiency. Um, but if you think about what it takes to close a deal, to implement a deal, to get paid, so many use cases to make that much more efficient.
1: So, so Pablo, you stole my thunder a little bit. I did. Oh. I did uh, mark <laughs> that uh, that quote about the twenty five percent. You said that comes about as uh, a the result of your lean Kaizen sprints. I, I lived in Japan for three years. I've been to Toyota headquarters as part of a, a business degree. Uh, I saw some of that up up close firsthand. I'm excited to hear about your definition of the lean process sprint and how yeah. RevOps leaders could achieve that 25% that you're Absolutely. About. And, I, and I
0: think honestly, RevOps is at the heart of the lean process work, right? Because those are the individuals that are, one, working on lead to cash processes, working on systems. They are connecting the dots between marketing, sales, post sales, finance, et cetera. And so what we love about the sprints, David, is the work is being done. And this ties back to, you know, there's a reason why Colin Powell went to talk to the troops because the troops are the ones that are on the ground that know the truth, right? And so our, our, our Kaizen sprints, Are embedded in that thought that you bring teams of people together to map out the existing process, not executives, not C level people. These are sales reps, marketing people, uh, customer success people, a BDR, the people actually doing the work, right? And so it's amazing that when they map out the existing process, how much waste they see, right? Like, why are we even doing this? I don't know. I got hired and Sally told me that. This was my job when I got hired and then I handed it over to Johnny, right? Um, And then once they map it out and they see what today looks like, you ask those same people to say, okay, you all will map out the new process, not your executives. And so it's amazing when you ask people that actually do the work to come up with something more simplified, why it's so easy to get 25% removal and waste, right? At least. Um, And then once that, that second sprint is done where they map out a whole new process, You take it to the executives and you say, we want to go do a minimum viable product. So we're going to go test this. Do you approve it? And once it's tested, you implement it. And every single time we've done this, guaranteed 25% or better improvement just because it's unbelievable how much waste gets embedded year over year.
2: And that already reminds me of your advice at the very end of our last conversation regarding revops, where, hey, maybe you went out and bought these tools that you thought were great and you know looked very promising, but how many of them are actually delivering value? And do you need all of them? Are there any that we could uh, consolidate, retire, or simplify yep. so that there's less waste um, and and spend in the RevOps space? Absolutely. In the book, um, you mentioned that this is, of course, one of five principles. Um, Tell us a little bit about the framework you put together, what you call the unicorn model. um, And what are some of the other principles that you introduce in the book?
0: Yeah, so we tried to to come up with a a framework that people would remember. And so we chose scale, one, because we work with scale-up companies uh, at Insight. So there's startups, which are really early stage, then scale-ups, and then grown-ups or public companies. And so the framework of scale, each letter stands for something. So uh S stands for strategic speed, right? So talk going back to like the role of RevOps and being critical in formulating the strategy and working with the executive team in sales. Um strategy is all about, especially in this economic environment, are you playing? Uh, and we use the play to win framework that Roger Martin developed. Um, are you playing in the right? Uh, places, right? And are you being laser focused versus trying to spread yourself too thin? Um, the C of scale, constant experimentation. Again, another huge lean principle, right? The companies that have been the most successful that we've evaluated and worked with are constantly testing uh, you know, product rollouts or what they deliver um, versus trying to be perfect and before they deploy stuff. Um, accelerated value um, is uh, the A of scale right? Uh, Do you understand what your customer needs? Uh, We do a lot of value mapping with our portfolio companies to understand the personas that they are working with, that they're selling to. Do you understand their pain points? What makes them happy? um, What jobs need to be done, et cetera. So uh, that's that framework. L, uh, we talked about lean process. Um, And then E is esprit de corps, right? Which is really all about once you've got all those other elements, do you have the right leadership and the right culture uh, because ultimately, people are your most important asset, right? And if you've got strong vision, strong values, strong culture, uh, the best companies have everything, right? So the framework is not about, well, hey, uh, tell me which one of these I should focus on first, right? The The goal is, um, in what order should I leverage these? Or how do I leverage all of them to help my business scale uh, in a sustainable way?
2: Yeah, I think order of operations is probably just as important as uh the, the actual work to be done itself. What I appreciated about the framework as I was reading through the book was how you and Matt of course incorporated all these different kinds of um Uh, literature that's been out there, frameworks that's been out there and kind of consolidated into an easier-to-execute format for SaaS specifically. Um, When you mentioned folks like, uh, you know, the Playing to Win framework or Michael Porter, when you borrowed from uh, the Toyota framework and and the Lean principles in general, it felt like a very actionable way to absorb what could be just a lot of uh, noise out there and made it specific for SaaS companies with that mandate for growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was it was sort of um, I mean, every every book is unique, right? But we tried we wanted to make this not academic. We wanted to make it practical uh and definitely actionable, right? So for those of you that, you know, are ordering the book or have seen some of the uh, the stuff online, we provide templates that people can use by chapter um with specific action items that you can actually put into practice. Um so hopefully people find that it is something that's easy to read, to digest uh, and put into practice versus, um, you know, it could have been very, I don't know, academic and PhD-ish with a lot of historical stuff on lean. We were trying to keep it,
1: again, lean. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I do appreciate books that have uh, tools and other uh, techniques that can be used right away. So uh, thank you for sharing all that. We're so excited about the, uh, the book launch. Thank you. So, uh, Pablo, I'm curious. You you shared a bit. You had a history working in HR. Um, uh, I'd love to hear um, how you got into private equity. So I know that know there's a great origin story. Perhaps you can take us all the way back to what you studied and and step through that uh, evolution. Yeah,
0: I'll uh, I'll keep it lean. So I studied at the University of Texas, Go Horns, uh, for undergrad and uh, started my career in management consulting at the Alexander Group, where I basically learned most of what I learned in sales and marketing. Went to two different public companies. Um, The second public company I went to, a recruiter found me on LinkedIn. Didn't know anybody there. They just reached out randomly, and I took that job. The startup I went to after that public company, recruiter also found me on LinkedIn. Didn't know anybody at that company. The startup I was at had a successful exit. We got purchased. Another recruiter, when the purchase got announced, found me on LinkedIn uh, for the job at Insight. And so how did I end up at Insight? A recruiter found me on LinkedIn. I did not uh, actually know this role existed, David. Uh, I actually was thinking about going to do what I do at Insight, but starting my own business. I am not an entrepreneur. And I was like, this is going to be hard. And then when Insight called, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I wanted to do but I don't have to go figure it out, love it. And um, it's honestly a phenomenal role. One, because I equate it to somewhat being the, the the marriage of consulting and being an operator. Cause in consulting, you get to see a lot of things and you're not tied down to one thing. And then as an operator, you're at one company, right? And again, when I was an operator, I loved it. I would never got bored because you're doing acquisitions, your job changes, et cetera. So combine those two things, right? I'm working with 500 plus portfolio companies um, and I get to operate with them and guide. uh, So it's the best of both worlds, but that's how I ended up uh, at Insight.
1: Very, very cool origin story. You know, Pablo, it's been so much fun to watch your team grow over the years. Um, So I have one last question for you, which is given all that you do, all the companies that you're working with, the size of the team, all the engagements that you have, writing a book, What do you do to unwind? i have an awesome family,
0: but uh, in terms of me time, I do two things. I mountain bike a lot. So I mountain bike every morning that I can, but my other hobby is uh, smoking meat. So I I am a semi-professional smoker only because I've been doing it for 15 years and uh, you will find me smoking, I guess all week and on the weekends, because the kids will say, hey, we want ribs today. So then I've got to be outside in the morning smoking. And if it's snowing, as long as it's not raining, I'm smoking. So um, apologies for those of you that do not eat animals, but I do also smoke vegetables.
2: So instead of going to Franklin's barbecue, when I'm in town uh, in Austin next month, for your book launch party, maybe I just need to go visit you, Pablo, for so,
0: so the, delicious so the barbecue. Funny, so the funny thing is, I was on the Franklin's Barbecue smoker waiting list for three years, and that's the actual smoker I use is one of Franklin's hand built smokers.
2: Wow, okay, so <laughs> definitely next party in your backyard. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: this is now an advertisement for Franklin's Barbecue in Austin, Texas.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not sponsored by Franklin. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, um we want to share a lot of these resources you've mentioned with the community. Where can people find you, Pablo, if they want to follow more of your latest and greatest revOps or operating um, knowledge and advice?
0: Yeah. so uh, even if you're not a recruiter, I am very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can message me. Um, I actually talk to a lot of people on LinkedIn um if you want to hear more or understand more about uh some of the principles in the book you can go to whataunicornnose.com um the free first chapter is on there if you want to get a sense of what the, everything's about before you go and commit to to buying a book you don't know anything about except what we talked about today but um yeah always happy to help out the revops community uh as much as possible since that is where uh, a lot of my career has been and i realize how important and critical the role can be to the success of a company.
2: And where can folks find out more about Insight Partners, but also some of the publications that the Centers of Excellence put out regularly?
0: Yeah, so um, one of the beautiful things is we make a lot of our content, um, if not most of our content, public. So if you want to go to insightpartners.com and you go to the blog section or content section, you will see a lot of the materials that we provide out to the public. Um, I know we just reposted this morning Uh, some best practices on President's Club, which if you're in RevOps, you're probably helping people figure out like, hey, are we doing a P-Club or not this year, given the economy, or do we push it out? Um, So things like that can be found online. And if after reading it, you want to reach out because you have a question, um, again, feel free to do so uh, on LinkedIn.
1: Pablo, this has been such an enjoyable episode. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to spend with us. Uh, you talked about a uh, framework of actions for uh, RevOps leaders to support strategy, supporting resource allocation, taking out cost. Uh, you talked about liking uh, tools that support visibility into the pipeline and forecast. Uh, you talked about uh, I don't know being a horrible answer. And I really appreciate that, that people can be prepared for what analysis go went into uh, that current situation that they're not understanding, but at least being prepared to say what, what they're doing uh, to get you an answer. Um, you also shared a bit about your book, which uh, I believe the, the release date officially is February 21st. Is that correct? That's correct. So anyway, thank you for spending the time with us uh, to share so many of your insights. We really appreciate you and, and your time today. Yeah, no, thank
0: you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: And I also want to, of course, thank our growing audience. Uh, We are loving the interactions and comments on LinkedIn. Keep those coming. Um, If you feel like this podcast episode, this conversation with Pablo has been helpful for your career and your growth as a RevOps leader, please, of course, share the podcast and the episode with a colleague or with a friend. And certainly go out and pick up a copy of Pablo's new book coming out in a few days after this episode releases, What a Unicorn Knows. Pablo, it was so much fun to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you both, appreciate
2: it. And this has been another exciting, informative, learning-filled episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time.
1: Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit revopsrockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by Opt Focus. Visit opfocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.